Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today's uncertain marketplace has highlighted the importance of investing in high-quality names, characterized by sound balance sheet structures that enable companies to weather more challenging environments. Although some investors correlate high-quality names with large-cap companies, that isn't necessarily true. The small-cap space consists of several high-quality businesses with tremendous growth potential. In September, Fidelity launched Global Small Cap Opportunities Fund, which aims to uncover value by identifying high-quality companies that are mispriced. Joining today's show to discuss the investment strategy behind Fidelity Global Small Cap Opportunities Fund and how investors could benefit from investing in this space are the fund's co-portfolio managers, Connor Gordon and Chris Melodzinski. Connor and Chris join today's host, Dave Bushnell, SVP Advisor Distribution. A few key highlights today include Connor and Chris noting that volatility creates dislocation. Dislocation creates mispricing, which is what sets the stage for future returns. And that there is no area of the market that is more dislocated right now than global small caps. Also, that over the last 10 years of experience looking at small caps, they have made a focus list of businesses they are confident in to follow closely, which includes 400 stocks in North America, 150 in Europe, and 50 in Asia Pacific. This podcast was recorded on October 4th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Let's get into the start of today's program. We're here to talk about a very exciting new mandate here at Fidelity, our new Global Small Cap Opportunities Fund, run by Connor Gordon and Chris Malajinski. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Dave. Now, we're very excited to have this mandate that we launch new products at Fidelity for lots of different reasons. And this one is actually a little bit unique that both of these individuals have run this mandate for our Canadian institutional clients for just shy of three years. But people like myself and many of us on sales have been bugging it all over our head of product and marketing, Kelly Krillman, to say, when can we bring this product to retail for our advisor partners? And we are thrilled to now have this mandate available. So, gentlemen, before I get into a line of questions, I think I speak for everybody tuning in today that there is one question that we would all have for the both of you, and that is lots of turmoil in the market, lots going on. Why would I want to add small cap, global small caps, to my portfolio today? So, Chris, can I maybe go to you to give us your answer on that? Yeah, sure. I think it's a, a very exciting time to be deploying capital into the asset class. You know, when you know volatility is high, prospective returns are high, and when volatility is low, uh, prospective returns are are low in the asset class. I mean, candidly, um, you know, going back to early 2021, post the vaccine rally. We were really struggling to find returns. You know, double digit returns were a stretch looking across the universe. Um, And, you know, fast forward 18 months later, stocks are down um, and IRR is up. I mean, looking across the landscape, uh, you know, we're finding a lot of good ideas with uh, with 20 
to 100% upside, um, you know, for patient investors looking out a couple of years. So, um, yeah, we're finding it uh, to be a, an extremely exciting time to be deploying capital today. Connor, can we go to you for any additional comments on that? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, like most people, Dave, um, you know, my brokerage statements don't like volatility. But when we manage the fund, volatility is amazing. Uh, volatility creates dislocation. Dislocation creates mispricing. Mispricing is what sets the stage for future returns. Um, you know, and I think there is no area of the market that is more dislocated right now than global small caps. Um, you know, as Chris mentioned there, I think we are seeing companies at stock prices that we could only have dreamed of three, four years ago. Um, and I think the key is for Chris and I to differentiate um, which stocks are down because they have structural problems, as you mentioned, to the external environment, and which ones are being, you know, situations where the baby is being thrown out with the bathwater. That's what gets us energized to wake up in the morning and put money to work for clients. Perfect. Now, let me step back now with both of you. Now that we have that question out of the way, uh, both of you are 10 plus Fidelity Year vets. Uh, Chris, can I go back to you? Can you maybe walk us through just very quickly how long you've been at Fidelity and perhaps a, a little bit about your career so far? So I'm actually um, in my 15th year um, at Fidelity and started off in summer 2008 covering um, metals and mining right before the GFC um, and then rotated on to consumer discretionary media and telecom and uh, did that for a few years. And then um, three years after that, uh, did, did financials, real estate and insurance from uh, 2015 to 2019 before launching uh, the global small cap uh, pilot for the institutional channel. Thanks, Chris. And Connor, can we go to you? Same thing. Um, you know, I've been at Fidelity for uh, 15 years since I started as an intern um, back in the day. So, you know, started on the uh, Canadian team here doing rotating on tech, healthcare and industrials. And then I spent six years as a generalist analyst, kind of looking at everything under the sun for small caps in the U.S., but also globally working directly for a number of the portfolio managers here uh, with a focus on consumer tech, business services, and industrials, basically everything outside of commodities and banks. So as I mentioned, your mandate on the institutional side is actually just shy, one month shy of three years old. Chris, can I go back to you? You've now been running this fund for three years. What have you learned about this mandate, about this space, and about how you've created such wonderful performance? Yeah, well, I, I guess just just going back to kind of our process and, you know, Global Small Cap Opportunities Fund is a global go anywhere, best best ideas fund. So, you know, we're looking for companies um, that are great businesses, high quality in nature, simple, predictable, generate cash and, and have top tier management team. Now, so the, the global universe is over 6000 stocks um, and we distill this down you know, the highest quality companies that either have the ability to grow at above market rates for extended periods of time or, or missed price with a catalyst to, to unlock that value. And I think the unique nature of this product is, you know, we're putting together two managers with a combined 21 years of experience as covering analysts, um, you know, before launching the pilot, which is extremely unique uh, because there was no sector overlap uh, during, during our analyst tenure. So, you know, this gives uh, the fund the ability to cast a wide net and really have, you know, a high level of conviction uh, given our, our prior experience. Connor, over to you. Yeah, Dave, you know, we launched this fund in November or our institutional fund in November of 19. And in that time period, you know, it, it feels like we've seen multiple market regimes or market cycles, you know, into COVID, out of COVID, you know, into this new inflationary environment. And I think the one thing that we keep coming back to is consistency, trying to drive consistent performance for clients, regardless of the market, um, you know, the, the market cycle or the market regime. And I think one of the ways in which we do that is, you know, staying down the middle. 
And I think we get we we often get asked, are you growth? Are you value? We're, we're kind of neither. We're we are kind of core style agnostic investors, and we do that by focusing on profitable, predictable, growing businesses. And we kind of avoid that style bent that many investors have. And and I think if you want consistent performance, you have to avoid digging yourself big performance holes. And I think growth investors. We've seen since maybe you know the end of November 21, or even maybe going back to February of 21, have dug themselves big holes by buying you know unprofitable speculative businesses, you know didn't generate cash flow, uh, and you know prior to that, I think you know deep value investors may have dug themselves a hole over a very long period of time buying cheap stocks, but maybe not focusing quite as much on the business quality. And what we try to do is stay down the middle. Profitable, predictable, growing businesses, and then we wait for them to be mispriced. And that's when we act and start putting money to work. Thanks for that. Uh, maybe Connor will stay with you, and then we'll go over to Chris. When so many Canadians hear the word small cap, the first thing that comes into your mind is, well, very, very risky. And it's two people in a garage banging out a new idea, maybe with a million bucks in the bank kind of thing to fund this. Can you talk about what is a small cap security in your product? So... In our product right now, the average market cap, it changes, but it, it kind of right now, it's roughly between five and six billion dollars US market cap. And just to put that in context, that would put you in the TSX 60. So when we talk about small caps in a global context, for a lot of Canadian investors, that might be a large cap or at least a mid cap. And I think one of the misconceptions is, as you said, Dave, we're not buying speculative oil and gas mining companies or, you know, a tech project with a couple guys in a garage. These are big, proven businesses, but ones that, you know, typically sell globally and we think have a lot of runway still left in front of them for them to become, you know, multi-billion dollar market caps, not just single digit billion dollar market caps. Yeah, just to add to that, I mean, you know, I think it's an extremely attractive asset. You know, so some of the attributes that make it attractive, you know, historically, it, it comes with faster revenue growth. Um, it's, it's also underfollowed. I think the average S&P company has 20 covering analysts looking at it. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Connor, but the average um, in our index is roughly five. And, you know, it's, it's very hard for, for large companies uh, to grow at above market rates for an extended period of time, just given the, the law of large numbers. So, you know, the index has over 6,000 stocks in it. And, uh, you know, we distill that into a concentrated portfolio uh, for 80 really high quality names. Chris, I'd like to stay with you, and I'd like you to, yes, discuss your process, but we talk a lot here at Fidelity about the power of Fidelity, about the fact that we have offices all over the world. We have boots on ground all over the world. Can you talk about, as two small cap managers living in Canada, how do you leverage the Fidelity ecosystem? And perhaps if you could incorporate that into your process. So how does a stock find its way onto your radar? Who are you interacting with? And what in the end makes you say, yes, I'm going to buy this security. Chris, can I, can I stick with you for that question? Yeah, there's a lot to, definitely a lot to unpack there. I mean, our historical experience gives us kind of a, a huge database of, you know, companies we've followed over a long period of time that, that we put on a watch list and we track and, you know, they're not necessarily in the fund right now, but they're on a watch list. And if something changes or, or, um, you know, the, the price changes, for example, then that's something that, you know, we may revisit to, to, you know, look at into the flight capital into, but going back to your question on on the resources, I mean, Fidelity has you know a ton of resources, you know, several hundred analysts scouring the globe, and you know, you know, given the nature of the pandemic, it's actually made it uh, very easy to connect with them virtually. So, um, you know, if there is something I want to look into in Australia or over in Europe, you know, you can just you know, shoot your colleagues a message, and 
and have a face-to-face kind of virtual meeting and really get up the curve on that security. And I, I think a lot of people on this call probably know that we have a, uh, a global note database. So all of our historical research is published into this database. Like all, all, all prior analysts have published their research into this and it makes um, our job a lot easier because we can go into this database and really have all the historical research spanning decades and, and get up to speed in a very short amount of time. And, you know, there's over 6,000 companies in the index. There's a lot of rocks to turn over and a database like this really makes our job a lot easier. Connor, would you add anything to that? Yeah. So, Dave, you know, I think, as Chris said, there's roughly 6,400 companies in the, in the kind of global investment universe. If you put some light guardrails around that, call it a billion dollars in market cap and a couple of million dollars a day in, in daily liquidity, it kind of gets you down to 2,500. If you take some of the sectors that we don't play in, energy materials, banks, utilities, biotech, you get down to roughly 1,500. And over time, you know, just through experience, you know, 10 years looking at small caps, we have that whittled down to, I would say, about a, you know, a focus list of 400 stocks in North America, maybe 150 in Europe and 50 in APAC that we know pretty well. We're confident in the quality of the business. And then we, we follow these companies. We follow them, Chris and I, but we also then leverage more than 100 analysts around the globe reading the notes daily, trying to identify change. And I think that's one of the, you know, a key point that we have is we have, we, we have this list of companies that we believe are high quality, and then we wait for something to change. We wait for a mispricing to emerge, and that's when we act. I can give you an example. So a company that I, you know, we had followed for a long time was a, you know, a Belgian holding company. They, they own a, you know, big auto glass company globally. And all of a sudden, one day, there was a note that came through, and they had sold part of the company to a private equity business. So that would be an example of something that triggers a change that says, hey, we need to reevaluate the fundamental outlook for this business. So then leveraging the network that we have of Fidelity, I speak to, you know, I dial up three analysts, our European autos analyst, our Canadian autos analyst who covered a similar business, uh, you know, Boyd Services here in Canada. And then I speak to our U.S. analyst. And kind of using, triangulating that across the globe, different geographies kind of to triangulate what is this business? Who are the competitors? What is the outlook for this business in all three geographies in which they operate? That's kind of how you can kind of zero in and really get down into the nitty gritty details of fundamental analysis and do the valuation work to kind of come to a, you know, a, 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 a value for the business and then decide, is this mispriced or not? Is this going to generate excess returns for our portfolio? Thank you for that. I, um, Connor, let's stay with you. Can we drill down a little bit deeper into the current portfolio? Just where are you finding opportunities today? So you keep, and I and I and what you just said, lots of stocks you're looking at in in America, a decent amount in Europe, a little bit in Canada. So so how would the portfolio shake out right now from a geographic basis? Yeah, so I think the you know we can talk in rough terms. You know, I think historically since launch or on the institutional side, we have been overweight North America at the expense of Europe, APAC, and emerging markets. And you know, obviously, that's been a good decision, given the turmoil that many of those markets have seen. I'd say that's flipping. Given the dislocation, particularly in Europe, we are spending a lot of time looking at these European companies you know, in the UK, in you know, continental Europe. And I think that comes back to dislocation. The volatility that gets created or has been created from you know, the war in the Ukraine, gas prices in Europe shooting through the roof. You know, six years later, we're still talking about Brexit. 
the dislocation there is what creates mispricing. And I think that the, one of the key things we want to get across is we're not buying the European market or the Asian market as a whole. We're very opportunistic across sector, across geography, trying to come up with a handful of ideas, right? I think we've mentioned we kind of hold roughly 50 core positions across the world. We only need a handful of, uh, of ideas that are really going to generate returns. So I'd say, you know, we go kind of toward the, you know, moth to a flame. When there's big, when there's big dislocations, we definitely get interested. We roll up our sleeves and that's kind of where we're drawn to right now. You know, European stocks where you have some of these big dislocations happening. Chris, th thanks, Connor. Chris, let's go back to you. We're getting some, uh, some questions on things like oil, gold. Are these things that would find their way into your portfolio? Yeah, so generally not. So um, going back to, I guess, a prior comment on what we look for, you know, high quality in nature, simple, predictable and cash generative. So when you throw commodity prices um, into the fold, they're not that predictable. Commodity prices, I mean, I, I covered gold for, for three years and uh, it's notoriously difficult to have high conviction on a commodity price deck. So that's generally areas that we shy away from. Uh, if we do go in there, it's definitely on like the higher quality um, side of things. So maybe like a royalty business or a business that sells into, you know, EMP companies, for example, like a servicer or a dealer, for example. So uh, generally, no, and we're, we're underweight. So I guess, you know, if you look at, you know, the, the track record over the last three years, like if, if oil and gas prices uh, are, are spiking or commodity prices are going through the roof, the fund will generally have a, a tougher period in, in that kind of a macro environment, just given the kind of high quality nature of the fund. Chris, I'd like to stay with you. A, a great next question, which is, we always talk about fidelity, regardless of the portfolio manager, on how many company meetings we do. And to your point, all those meetings are categorized and kept so we can reference back to them. What are you hearing today? Uh, and I know that probably changes by obviously company to company and sector to sector, but are there any themes that have come out of your company meetings over, say, the last month or so that have really stood out to you? Yeah, freight rates are down. Uh, they're down big. And there's a lot of companies, you know, if you look at supply chain disruption um, over the, you know, particularly 2021 and early 2022, um, margins were, were really squeezed um, at a lot of higher, high quality companies, you know, top line going very well, pricing power, um, things look great. But if you look at gross margins, they were under pressure given that. So, you know, we're starting to see that unwind, especially over the last month. And, you know, looking into 2023, you know, Everyone's worried about recession. Everyone's worried about nominal GDP growth and corporate revenues. But on the flip side, you know, as we see these uh, these supply chain kind of uh, headwinds unwind, um, there's going to be a big margin benefit for a lot of high quality companies. Chris, let me just stay with you for one more quick one: conviction and in cash. So, if you if the two of you are very excited, would the cash be very low? Would you raise cash if you were nervous or or seeing opportunity? How would you keep those levels? Yeah. So. Um, we want to keep as little cash as possible. I mean, when you know clients put money into the fund, they're making that asset allocation call, and they expect us to to do the work and turn over the rocks. Um, and so, you know, ideally, we'd have zero cash. You know, there's always frictional cash here and there, but um, we want to run max five percent. Perfect, Connor. I want to go back to you now. You mentioned uh, about fifty names. Is I think what I heard you say. Could you talk about how did the two of you figure out what goes in? Do you work together and come up with your favorite ideas? Do you both have a set amount of names? So how is that 50 broken down between the two of you? Yeah, so there we have the fund is kind of structured as, as two independent sub-portfolios. And, and the reason we do that, we like to leverage what we call mutual collaboration, independent decision making. So as, as Chris mentioned, or you know, you highlighted, we have different historical backgrounds. 
in you know complementary backgrounds. So we both are active in consumer. Um, I tend to spend most of my time looking at you know tech, industrials, business services, in addition to consumer. And Chris has a little bit more expertise on you know the financial side. Historically, that kind of plays very complementary. So when we have an idea or one of us sees a new idea and it's in someone else's wheelhouse, we can kind of quickly get up the learning curve. So for example, if you know Chris has covered real estate, I come across a real estate name and I say, hey, have you looked at this? Have you seen this? Does this look interesting to you? Let's work on this idea together um, and try and come to a, to a conclusion there. I think that's, that's one of the, one, the things that we really try to emphasize is, is kind of that complementary background and kind of creating nice balance in the portfolio so that we never get too far one way, you know, as far as sector exposure, sector exposure goes. Chris, let me come back to you. I know we always talk about at Fidelity that we try and ignore things like the war that's currently going on. We try and really focus on the stocks. But has that become more difficult, especially if you're getting outside of North America? How do you work with someone to figure out, is there more risk to this stock taking into consideration the, the tensions over there right now? Yeah, so I mean, the way that we view, I would just put that in kind of more of a, a macro bucket. And the way that we think about macro, it's, uh, you know, we plug it into our scenario analysis. So, um, you know, how does this company look if commodity prices are high and interest rates are high or commodity prices are low and interest rates are low? So we kind of, uh, you know, do a scenario analysis and that kind of creates an expected value. And, you know, we can kind of look at it versus, you know, where it's where it's currently trading. So. So that's what I would say. And then, you know, in Europe in particular, I mean, Connor, um, you know, walked through a lot of this, but, um, you know, when we're scouring the landscape right now, um, you know, there's a lot of companies that are obviously going through through a tougher time at the moment and a lot of gas surcharges out there, consumer sentiments weak, but, you know, stocks and currencies are down a ton. I mean, there are some companies that are down 70, 80%. And these are, these are some higher quality companies uh, just because, you know, capital is left. And when capital leaves uh, certain areas, IRRs, go up, you know, prospective returns go up. And so that's, you know, it's a very attractive geography for new capital. Chris, can I, can I stay with you? We, we often like to talk at Fidelity in your group and the portfolio manager group, how it's a very close knit group of people. Uh, you share ideas, despite the fact that someone might be growth or someone might be value. Can you perhaps talk about some of the portfolio managers that you worked more closely with in your time as an analyst? Yeah. So again, 15th year uh, at Fidelity. And the interesting thing is there hasn't been a lot of turnover um, really since since I joined. So I've been able to um, you know work with uh, a number of different portfolio managers uh, through through that time period. So, you know, Mark Schmel, um, you know, sat beside him and, uh, you know, learned a ton from him. Focus on change. Cut losses early. You know, if your thesis isn't working out, um, you know, you're wrong and you need to admit it and, and you need to move on. So. Um, you know, that, that's something really important that we learned from him and, and Dan DuPont, for example, like the power of conviction, you know, ability to stick with it no matter what the market throws at you. I mean, that's something uh, that you can't teach. And, and we learned a lot from him o over time. And Stephen Pat focusing on quality and stability and having having patience um, and, and Hugo just be, being contrarian, you know, like like we, what we just talked about in Europe, you know, think things are look things look bad there. But, you know, for, for new money um, looking out a few years, think, things can look quite attractive. Connor, can I go, go to you with the same question, please? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, one of the, the rules of investing is know thyself. Um, and I think one of the, the great benefits of the Fidelity platform as an analyst is that you get to find out who you are as an investor. You get to discover your own style. And, they're, they're, you know, you, you have pre-existing beliefs when you come in and start. And I think you get to figure out what works for you. You know, what works, but more importantly, what works for you. And I think you get to learn from great mentors successful portfolio managers. And, you know, I would echo the same thing. I think if you look, uh, maybe just highlight, you know, four people, I think, 
Steve McMillan, I worked for for a long time on the you know U.S. small cap side, emphasis on profitability and predictability of, of businesses. Hugo Lavalle, I think contrarian investing. If you want to beat the market, your portfolio needs to look different than the market, and you know, kind of, you need to be able to, you know, at turning points, look through the uncertainty and, you know, take a stand. Dan DuPont, you know, the emphasis on downside protection. I think, you know, you kind of asked the question earlier about, you know, risk in small caps. Well, when you're dealing with smaller businesses, you really need to be attuned to business risk and really go through the balance sheet and, and kind of find those risks and really be attuned to those things because things in smaller businesses, you know, things can go off the rails, you know, faster than they can at Johnson & Johnson, for example. Um, and then Mark Schmel, as Chris said, you know, I think ruthless portfolio management. When you are wrong, admit you were wrong and move on. You know, get out and find the next best idea. Uh, Chris, can we go back to you? We've got a couple of questions on valuations. How, how do you view those in your space? So it all, it all comes down to valuations. I mean, if you want to talk about our, our process, you know, it's mispricing. So we value every single security in the fund. Um, and we, we try to hit, uh, you know, low, low to mid-teens returns. And so... You know, if you, if you look across it, we don't, you know, we're not a value or a growth manager. So, you know, people like to say growth is, you know, high PE uh, values, low PE, but we can find a lot of good value um, in, you know, traditional growth names. So, you know, it's what we talked about earlier, you know, having the ability to look out and if you can compound capital at above market rates for an extended period of time, like it's okay paying more than a market multiple for that because, you know, a 30 times PE stock growing at 30% starts to look very cheap uh, in a short period of time. So, you know, I guess you can bucket it as, as GARP, you know, we don't want to pay too much to get that growth, which should result in, you know, higher than average rates of return over time. Chris, as we're unfortunately getting somewhat close to the top of the hour here, I wanted to ask you, is there a sector or a theme right now that you're particularly excited about in the small cap space? So I would just say uh, a point I kind of wanted to get across was where we're finding opportunities. You know, it's, it's interesting, it, it, you know, macro, the sell side is very, very slow to update their macro assumptions. So, you know, FX has moved a lot. Interest rates have moved a lot. Um, and so this is an area that we really are finding a lot of mispricing because, you know, when rates have moved so far in such a short period of time, the numbers are just wrong. Like the, the numbers are stale. And so you can find a company that has a very, um, their earnings power has increased dramatically and the, and the sell side, the market is very slow to pick that up. So that's a, that's a very interesting part of the market that, uh, that we're finding opportunities in. Connor, uh, same question. I think companies with historically that have had pricing power, but that have, have had a temporary uh, dislocation, what I would say. So Prices have shot up faster than they can raise prices in a three to six month period. And I think we're already seeing this. Chris mentioned freight rates rolling over. You know, we're seeing it in other commodities. So really focusing on, on high quality companies that have had pricing power where margins have been crushed in the past 12, to, you know, call it 12 months. But we see a path to normalization if we look out, you know, six, 12 months and, and the market isn't there yet. Chris, I'll go, as I said, we're now right at the top of the hour. Any final thoughts? Chris, we'll go to you, Connor, then we'll come back. Any final thoughts you would leave for the audience today? I'm excited. I mean, you know, like I said, 18 months ago, we were coming in, turning over rocks, not a lot interesting. Now we're coming in, lots of opportunity, lots of dislocation, great time to be deploying capital. Connor, would you add anything to that? You know, global, maximize the size of the opportunity set that you have in front of you. Small cap, maximize the inefficiency of the opportunity set. You combine, you know, Chris and I, two style consistent managers into a concentrated fund. And I think we have something that's really set up to deliver consistent returns for clients over time. Well, thank you both. I thought that was a great session for all of our partners tuning in today. I would encourage you 
speak to your sales teams. Obviously, some very compelling reasons, not just to look at small caps, but to obviously look at this mandate and coming off a wonderful three-year track record uh, in our institutional space. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. And while visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.